What's going on, guys? It's Fancy Stock Exchange here, bringing you an episode of our My Guys, guys that we have been talking about basically all offseason. You guys have been watching all offseason. You kind of have an idea of who we're going to be talking about today. But we just thought, you know, we'll bring you a fun episode of guys that we love for this fantasy football season. But before we do that, Corey, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. These are the dudes that we've done the research on for the last, I don't know, four months or so. And we've kind of built our cases, built our arguments, and we're not going to go super in depth with them because there's guys, I mean, like as often as three days ago that I went super in depth on. So you will, if we remember what video it's from, we'll, we'll make reference to it if you want to hear the full argument. But yeah, these, these are the dudes that we're going to, we're going to hitch our wagons to. If they're bad, then we can take the blame if you draft them. That's just how fantasy football analysis works. If we tell you to draft, DJ Moore and he sucks ass, then that's kind of our fault. So we'll hit the intro and then we'll uh, see you guys with our quarterbacks. For sure. All right. So before we get into our quarterbacks, I kind of want to go on a little rant here. So when I talk about my guys and when we say values, these guys are values. And the reason they're my guys for us is because we perceive them as values. If DJ Moore was going in the first round, they wouldn't be my guys for us because they're going at a point in the draft that we think they're values. And what we mean by values is we don't mean value as in current ADP value because Todd Gurley slipping to the sixth round is technically a value, right? Because he usually goes in the third or fourth round. But we don't like Todd Gurley. We, we don't think he's going to return value, meaning he's going off the board as RB15. We don't think he's actually going to be better than RB15. A guy who's a value, like, for example, one of the guys we're going to get into later, AJ Brown, is going off the board as like the wide receiver 17. I think he's going to be much better than that. So as long as I'm getting him at a point where he's going around that area, he's a value because I think he's going to be a top 15 receiver. Yeah, I fully agree on that point. Again, you mentioned this is a value based off where they're currently going versus where we actually have them projected to be. Again, and where they're going to finish too. We want value yeah. based on where they're going to finish. Like it's one thing to be a value in ADP, as I mentioned, like you usually go in the fourth round, but now you're in the sixth round. I'd rather not pick you if I don't actually believe in your outlook this season. 100%. And again, like that, that's going to segue into another video that should be releasing soon. I'm actually going to go through a few of my busts for this year. And basically that is to the point where they're going at a certain area. Even if they're a couple rounds later, they're still most likely guys that I would prefer actually over them straight up in that area. So don't have to get too specific there, but just kind of segueing into that. But as you mentioned, we're going to be going through quarterbacks, two running backs each, two receivers each, and a tight end each. We were going to do a flex, but we'll kind of just give you guys a couple yeah, honorable so mentions. We're doing at the a end, starting but, fantasy yeah. lineup of our my guys, basically, is the way we were going to do it. And because we're doing like five, six guys that we're going to be talking about, we're not going to go super in depth on them as we normally would with most of these guys. But I guess I'll kick us off. So, my guy at the quarterback position, and if you're an <laughs> avid follower of this channel, you're probably going to know who most of these dudes are and have heard our arguments for them already. Gardner Minshew is my guy at the quarterback position. I am pounding the table for Gardner Minshew, who surprisingly enough is still going as like the quarterback 26 off the board, which is fucking yeah. ridiculous because Minshew ranked number three in the NFL in passer rating on deep targets. He has an elite deep threat receivers and Chris Conley and, and uh, DJ Chark and a great new run after the catch guy and, and LaVisca Chenault. Tyler Eifert. Apparently he's progressing in camp with Tyler Eifert, whatever the fuck that means. The Jags defense is hot trash. It's steamy trash. Coming from Washington State, Minshew will be no stranger to throwing the ball all over the yard 600 times this season. You can put that in ink. Despite ranking number five at the position in rushing yards, Gardner Minshew, in 12 games started. He only started 12 games and threw 21 touchdowns, might I add. Ahead of guys like Dak Prescott, Daniel Jones, and Russell Wilson, he, ranked, he had more rushing yards than all three of those guys. He had zero rushing touchdowns, and all of those guys had at least three. So uh, he's due for positive regression. If he's going to rush for that 350 rushing yards, I believe is what he rushed for last year. If he yeah. rushes for that same total this coming year, he's going to have three, four, maybe five, six rushing touchdowns, which is just going to add to his floor. If you add that to his, um, his outlook that he had last year, his paced out numbers, he would have been a top 10 quarterback. So he has no quarterback behind him this year for competition too. Last year, he had to deal with the fact that Nick Foles was in and out of the lineup and potentially stealing his job. And he was a sixth round rookie. Let's remember this. He was not a first round pick by any means. 
and he might lead the league in pass attempts this year. Plus, he's a young player. He was a sixth-round pick last year. It's his second year in – or, sorry, his first year in an offense that's better suited to his skill set. Jay Gruden is actually, like, has dealt with late-round quarterbacks in the past. He had Kirk Cousins, who was a fourth-round pick in, uh, I believe, 2014 was – or 2013 was the first year that Kirk Cousins was actually the starter. Yeah. So, Jay Gruden has, has progressed a young quarterback who was a late-round pick in the past. And I think Gardner Minshew is going to experience that, that this year going into his second season. Yeah, I mean, I fully agree. Again, uh, when we mentioned the my guys at the quarterback, uh, he, he was going to be my guy if it wasn't your guy, plain and simple. Because the value that you get on him, I mean, we both have him as top 15 option. I believe you have him at, what, 12, right? I'm at 11. So you have him at 11. I have him at about 14 right now. And just looking at it, I mean, the way he's perceived by the public is insane. As you mentioned, you probably saw the video by now, but in that video, he specifically said, quarterback 22 is where he's coming off the board. Now I'm not advocating for taking the guy in the first round just to get a chance at a free pack of crap beer. But I mean, either way, he has to end up on your rosters. If he's still going in the area, he is coming into draft season. That's plain and simple. Realistically, if you're in a one quarterback league, you're getting him in the last round of your draft. Yeah. And why are you picking guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins over him? Like that makes no sense to me. Cause like, we know what those guys are. Like they might be top 18 quarterbacks, but like, that's not going to help you in a one quarterback league at all. Gardner Minshew has top 10 potential. Why? Because we saw guys like Jameis Winston, Blake Bortles, Josh Allen, guys who maybe you don't think Gardner Minshew is very good. I happen to think he's actually pretty good. I think he is. Yeah. If you don't think Gardner Minshew is good, fine. We saw Blake Bortles be a top 12 quarterback. We saw Jameis Winston be a top like six quarterback last year. We saw Josh Allen be a top six quarterback last year on the back of rushing and pass attempt volume. So those guys are, are the, the kind of benchmark for Gar- a guy like Gardner Minshew to break out. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned it too. He was so efficient last year when basically the Jags, aside from DJ Chark, were kind of depleted at the receiver position. I mean, guys missed time. Chris Conley missed a little bit of time. D.D. Westbrook, et cetera. DJ missed games I mean, to, to the point where Leonard Fournette was getting 100 targets. <laughs> they have a receiving core now. DJ Chark, LaVisca Chanel, Conley comes back. D.D. Westbrook, you got Tyler Eifert. I mean, he's got ample weapons to be able to supplement, again, as you mentioned, probably 600-plus pass attempts. Not to mention, he has that sneaky rushing upside, ultimately should face some positive TD regression on the ground. I mean, this is a guy, again, rookie season, 21 touchdowns in 12 games. Realistically here, I would not be shocked if we're looking at Gardner Minshew a year from now, top 10 quarterback, 25 passing touchdowns he's coming off of, and ultimately giving you that rushing plateau that we look for from a late-round quarterback. So I really like Gardner Minshew. Fantastic option, especially in one quarterback's leagues. He's pretty much going for free right now. Yeah, he is free. Like, he's and, literally free. I drafted if, in my big money league. Um, both uh, in, in that league, a lot of people draft two quarterbacks, so I kind of have to. It's not really a choice yeah. of mine. I drafted Tom Brady in, like, the 11th round, which was, like, great value at that point. And then I got Minshew with my very last pick also. So I'm going to be able to stream those two guys. Brady has a tough matchup week one against the Saints. I'm going to play Minshew against, I believe he plays the Colts, Colts. week one. Yeah, Colts. Yeah, like that's, that's an easier matchup than Easy. the Saints is. So those guys, I'm able to like kind of mix and match the matchups. And I like doing that at the quarterback position. If you pick up a good streamer on, on the waiver wire, maybe use a guy like Tyrod Taylor and Gardner Minshew. Two guys yeah. that are free that you can stream the matchups with week one and, and going forward. 100%. And we mentioned the one quarterback leagues. That, even if you're playing in a super flex or something, he's the perfect guy. You can get him at a quarterback three cost, and he can be a high upside two for you, plain and simple. Yep. Make sure this guy's on your teams. Anyways, we're going to segue into my guy at the quarterback position. Again, as I mentioned, it would have been Minshew, but I'm going to go with another guy that I am actually higher on than consensus, and that's going to be Matt Ryan for me. So currently, he's actually my quarterback seven in redraft. I had a guy like Josh Allen, which is the consensus seven amongst the industry. So he's my quarterback seven. He's the one guy where after the consensus top six, which we should but know by now, but if you don't, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, uh, Deshaun Watson, and then the top two being Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. But when you're talking about Matt Ryan, to me, he is the perfect mid to late round target for me at the quarterback position. And just looking at the situation. 616 passing attempts last year. And if we know one thing about Dirk Cutter is that number is going to stay above 600. It's just going to happen. We've seen Dirk Cutter. He is death to fantasy running backs, as Bush likes to say. And we've seen what he does in the passing game, being able to supplement high passing volume for his offenses. You're looking at the surrounding cast. Julio Jones, 
best receiver in the NFL by both of our regards. Calvin Ridley, a strong third-year breakout candidate. I mean, he was fantastic in 13 games last year, hoping to get him for a full 16. He's got legitimate 10-plus touchdown upside. And then a guy that I'm actually going to be mentioning later at the tight end position, but Hayden Hurst is also a key addition to the offense, adding a little bit more athleticism to the position as to what Austin Hooper offered. So they're actually breaking down the numbers for Matt Ryan. I mentioned the high passing volume overall, but he also had the second highest red zone passing percentage in the entire league last year. 102 total attempts in the green zone, as we like to mention. But overall, I mean, you got those. And then you actually look at the touchdown percentage from last year. He only threw a touchdown on 4.2% of his total passes. Whereas if you're actually comparing that to his 2018 number, which was at 5.8%, and his career average, which was 4.7%. So overall, he should face some positive regression in that regard. And ultimately here, you're getting a high passing volume type uh, quarterback who should throw a ton of touchdowns, probably near that 30 touchdown area. And ultimately, in general, I mean, the, the Falcons offense is going to have to be great simply because of how bad their defense should be, plain and simple, especially playing in that NFC South, some high scoring contests. I'm all in on Matt Ryan. If you can get him out of value, I, I am as my quarterback seven, uh, eighth, ninth round area. If he's falling to you in that area of the draft, he should be a smash pickup. So I really like the value that Matt Ryan provide, provides around there. Yeah, no disagreements here. That tier of uh, the old guys, the Breeze, the Stafford, the Brady, the the Matt Ryan, those guys might not run the ball, but those guys are the elite passing, like, touchdown quarterbacks aside from, like, Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson. For sure. So I, I don't hate the call there. He's definitely going to have the volume to 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 support uh, a quarterback one-type performance, and the every other near, year narrative still lives on, apparently, in fantasy <laughs> analysis. But Yeah, make sure um, not to mention that. <laughs> Into the running backs, uh, you knew one of us was going to have this guy as our guy, and it's me because I was first on the train, and that's Austin yeah, Eckler. You, Danny's mentioned this before. He was the RB2 in points per game before Melvin Gordon came back. He was the RB10 once Melvin Gordon was back, and he's going after both of those numbers. So that makes no sense. <laughs> Add them um, up. <laughs> yeah, I'll put up the splits of him with and without Melvin Gordon last year. The biggest thing for me is the rushing attempts because anyone can say – Philip Rivers checks the ball down too much. And you're kind of correct because he, he threw the ball to his running backs at a 33% clip last year, which was the most in the NFL. But the offset um, target decrease, and I think it's going to be a modest target decrease. I don't think he's going to go from 100 15, target back to a 60 target back. Because maybe 15, that didn't, doesn't make any sense because he's Austin Eckler. He's the second best pure receiving back in the NFL behind Christian McCaffrey. So he rushed, he had 14 rush attempts when Melvin Gordon was out of the lineup last year. And he had all three of his rushing touchdowns on the season when Melvin Gordon was out of the lineup. So any, any decrease that he experiences from a receiving perspective should be offset by a rushing increase. What happens if, if uh, Austin Eckler is Christian McCaffrey, remember Christian McCaffrey had a narrative around him where he couldn't carry the load. He could only, he wasn't in between the tackles runner. Like Austin Eckler is experiencing that same exact narrative. And that bit us in the ass with Christian McCaffrey. We thought CJ Anderson was going to take away the dirty carries from Christian McCaffrey. And we looked fucking stupid because of that. So I think Austin Eckler has that kind of upside. I think he could be a top, I don't know, top three running back this year. And we've seen this narrative play out before. Cam Newton in 2017, the year that Christian McCaffrey was drafted, we had this narrative around Cam Newton, where his quarterback X doesn't throw to the running back position, which is the laziest narrative in fantasy, because it bit us in the ass with CMC. Cam Newton in 2016, before Christian McCaffrey got there, threw to his running backs at a 13% rate, which was dead last in the NFL. Once they drafted Christian McCaffrey, who's an elite receiving running back, that number jumped up to 27%. Tied for third in the NFL. What a fucking shock. Once you have a guy who can actually do something, you use him in that regard. That's called good coaching. <laughs> and also the narrative around the fact that Tyrod's more mobile and he's not going to throw to his running backs is completely false because in 2016 and 2017, the Bills threw to their running backs on 20% of pass plays in 2016, which ranked 11th and 27% of pass plays, which ranked fifth in uh, 2017. Both of these years, Tyrod Taylor started most of the games. And in both seasons, he targeted his running backs more than Philip Rivers did in those years. And Philip Rivers had two receiving running backs. He had Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon, while Tyrod really only had LaShawn McCoy. So all these narratives around Austin Eckler, he has been the most false narrative like Amen. player in fantasy this year. And it's, we're all going to look stupid, not us, because we've been off of it this whole time, but everyone else is going to be like, why didn't we see this coming? Austin Eckler was great without Melvin Gordon, Melvin Gordon left. And then we were off Austin Eckler. That doesn't make any sense. Because any argument, I've heard arguments against Austin Eckler where people were like, oh, but that was without Melvin Gordon. Like, newsflash, Melvin Gordon isn't there. Like, <laughs> why are we overthinking Austin Eckler? He is 
my RB six and he's what your RB seven RB seven RB six in full PPR RB seven in half. I do have Derrick Henry one spot ahead. We'll get into his number five in a bit, but again, I got to mention uh, Austin Eckler a little bit just to uh, get into it as well, but going through it. Okay. You mentioned Gordon is not there. That's 204 vacated touches in the 12 games that Gordon played 17 per game. A lot of red zone work too. Do we exactly three rushing touchdowns in the first four games of the season without Melvin Gordon, none the rest of the year when Melvin Gordon did play. And so the narrative that Josh Kelly is going to take the, uh, what, or Joe, Justin Jackson is going to take those goal line carries because they're bigger. One, Justin Jackson's smaller than Austin Eckler. So that's not true. Literally two, Josh Kelly is Jamal even Williams 2.0. Not even good. So Jamal, it doesn't matter. The reason Melvin Gordon got those carries, not because he's bigger. It's because Melvin Gordon is a great goal line back. Exactly. Jamal Williams 2.0 is really going to dent. Austin Eckler's value, get out of here. I mean, this Josh Kelly hype is really bothering me. But anyways, that narrative that you put, uh, that you mentioned that everybody always resorts to, Philip Rivers, dump off King, yada, yada, yada. Again, you mentioned the snap or the target percentages for Tyrod. You're actually looking at the way Eckler plays in general. This dump off thing doesn't affect him because he's played 35% of his snaps in the slot. Second in Tariq Cohen, 28.7% uh, target market share in the slot. Number one in the league. Not to mention, I mean, you're looking at the situation itself. Again, I'm not just going to talk about Mike Williams' injury to return value, but that does have an effect. If he, misses, if he misses any regular season time, you got Keenan Allen, you got Hunter Henry, who's actually shown to be injury prone himself. Don't like throwing that word around, but I mean, it has happened. Who else are they going to throw the ball to? It's Austin Eckler, who's actually a fantastic receiver, as you alluded to. Behind Christian McCaffrey, it's him and Alvin Kamara, and nobody else in the discussion. Yeah, and if you're worried about Justin Herbert taking over, guess what? Who's going to be a rookie quarterback's best friend? The guy that is always open in Austin Eckler, and he's an easy dump-off throw. And Justin Herbert had a running back at, in, in college at Oregon who is also a great receiver, C.J. Verdell. You're going to hear his name probably called in the first three rounds this year of the NFL yeah. draft, and it's because he's a good receiving back. So all the narratives around Austin Eckler, there's ways to knock him down. Like, that's just my point. Plus, the dude's just super good, too. Like, betting yeah. on super good players is probably going to work out for you eight <laughs> out of ten times, regardless of all this other stuff. So let's get off Austin Eckler. We've talked about him enough. So who is your – what do you got? I'm going to say one thing. Did you, did you hear about that? Obviously, you don't want to buy into a bunch of reports. But did you hear the report where Joe Reed was actually going to Austin Eckler for advice on how to run routes? Oh, like the rookie receiver? <laughs> I saw that. I saw that's that. Funny. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. That just shows you. Like, that guy knows how to fucking make himself an acclimated receiver. But anyways, not going to talk like too top much. top five in yards per route run in the NFL of all <laughs> positions. Of all positions. Not even just, like, running back. I, I believe it's 2.84. It's yeah. insane. It's insane. But going into another guy who actually has a lot of receiving chops, guy who actually hasn't touched an NFL field yet. And my, my first, my guy at the running back position is going to be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. As I mentioned, Eckler's the RB6 in PPR. Derek Henry's the RB6 in half PPR. Well, who's the number five in both of those formats for me? It's going to be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So I've broken this down on a few videos by now, but if you guys haven't already seen it, I recently tweeted. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you guys. But it's, just, it's truly funny that there's people in the industry that aren't ready to, to accept Edwards-Hilaire as a first-round pick in not only Dynasty drafts, but redraft simply because they have preconceived bias against him before he got drafted. Newsflash, he ended up in the perfect situation for his skill set. Who's the LSU offense of the NFL? It's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. So when you're actually breaking down the games that Damian Williams played 50% or more of the snaps, as you guys will see on the screen, his PPR points, 18.5, 8.6, 6.8, 20.8, 15.9, 18.2, and 31.4 last year. If you average those all out, that's 17.2 PPR points per game, which is an RB10 pace. That's on 50-plus percent of the snaps. A guy like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has a lock on 60 to 75%, and that might even be modest, plain and simple. If he's getting that amount of snaps per game, realistically, he's going to near that Kareem Hunt top four type consensus value in fantasy football, especially playing in the Kansas City Chiefs system and playing under a guy like Patrick Mahomes to the point where, A, he's going to have a ton of PPR upside. He's going to catch the ball a ton. And B, the amount of touchdown opportunity in that offense is ridiculous. But if you're just using Damian Williams' numbers to begin with, 91.7 yards from scrimmage per game and five touchdowns across those seven games that I mentioned, which would pace out to 1,467 yards from scrimmage and 11 touchdowns across the full 16 game pace. 
That's comparing an undrafted free agent type talent in Damian Williams. Now he's proven to be better than that. So I'm not going to get into the draft capital because we can just say that about Eckler, but Damian Williams was a fine back. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is clearly an upgrade at the position. Damian Williams opted out. We don't have to worry about him going into workload. Who's going to contend with him? What Darwin Thompson, Daryl Williams, one of those guys. No, like it's going to be the Clyde Edwards Hilaire show in Kansas city. And if that's the case, I mean, I think RB tennis is floor with potential top three type ceiling, given how many opportunities he's going to have to score and the PPR upside. So I'm all in on Clyde Edwards And personally, this may sound like a hot take across the industry, but after the top four running backs go being Kamara, Zeke, Barkley, and CMC, he is my, by far my fifth, uh, my fifth overall pick. Not by far. I like Eckler and Henry too, but he is my fifth overall pick in any format, to be quite honest. So I'm all in on Clyde Edwards What are your thoughts on CEH as a whole? Yeah, I took him at sixth overall in my big money league. And, and there's a couple reasons. There's a couple narratives against Clyde Edwards. I'm going to shut them down real quick. He's too small. No, he's not. First of all, Brian Westbrook was 203 pounds, five foot 10, and he was a workhorse back for Andy Reid. So he's not too small. And that's the guy he's been compared to because Clyde Edwards Hilaire has eight pounds on the dude. He's a bit shorter, but he has eight pounds on him. So he's not too small. He's too slow. Ran the same 40 time as Kareem Hunt. So that's fucking bullshit, too. Um, the next thing, uh, actually, on Brian Westbrook, real quick. He's not going to get enough touches, maybe because he's too small. Maybe that's what your narrative that you're clinging to is. Brian Westbrook, the first, the first year that he was the full-time starter, had 177 carries and 87 targets, which is more than enough for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to finish as a top 10 running back. And he maxed out like his best season in terms of volume. He had 278 rush attempts and 118 targets. So that's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's ceiling, which in the Kansas City Chiefs offense, he might, ca- he might have – 10, 12, 15, 18 rushing touchdowns. Like it's very yeah. possible. They run the ball a lot in the red zone. And the other thing that people have against Clyde Edwards Lair is that he's a bad pass protector. Well, the Chiefs ran <laughs> left their running backs into pass protect, one of the like the league lowest percentage of the league or in the league. So Clyde Edwards Lair, even if he is a bad pass protector and they take him off the field for a guy like fucking I don't know who's even in the backfield. DeAndre Washington, <laughs> DeAndre Washington, Daryl Williams. Yeah, if Darwin they take Thompson, him off the like, field for that, guess what? That's probably five snaps a game maximum. Easily. I mean, you're looking at it specifically. There's not a reason other than the fact that they want to use him extensively as to why Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, two of the best in terms of coach and quarterback in the entire league, pounded the table to get this guy 32. They had defensive needs. They could have taken a cornerback. They could have taken a linebacker. That's probably should have taken a cornerback. Probably. But Mahomes and Reed looked at that guy, said, hey, that is the perfect fit for our offense. Let's make him our 32nd pick. And you know what? You're not going to argue against those guys. Plain and simple. 32nd overall draft pick. He is going to get used a ton in that system. Either way, top five pick for me. I would not be shocked if we're going into fantasy drafts next year and he's a consensus top three guy. Plain and simple. Yeah. Doesn't shock me at all. Uh, at this point in the video, you guys have gotten some value. So if you have, hit the button that looks like this. Comment down below any of your thoughts. Subscribe to the channel if you're new and hit the bell icon if you've uh, learned something you want to stick around and focus or fucking catch up all of our uploads that we're going to be dropping this coming draft season. So next on the list, we have my RB2, my second my guy. I'm really not going to spend a lot of time on this dude because if you want to hear me go like on an eight-minute rant about this, I did this on yeah, the top five check. breakouts or the must draft breakout players um, video that came out on Wednesday. So if you want to see that, he was my first breakout player, my number one breakout player. And that's Ronald Jones. Keyshawn Vaughn's behind. He's looking to contribute on special teams to get on the field. That's not a good sign. LaShawn McCoy and Dario Gumbawale fit in behind Rojo. They're, they get touches when Rojo is tired. All this is stuff that Bruce Arians has said. Rojo is the primary ball carrier in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. He will absorb the majority of uh, Peyton Barber's goal line work as well. All his red zone carries and his 175 uh, carries in general. The Buccaneers offense had seven reds or uh, goal line carries last year. Peyton Barber got all of them. Like Ronald Jones got zero of them. So he should see an uptick, uh, uptick in receiving work as well. He know he's not going to catch 70 passes, but he might catch 40 or 50. He's been praised on his ability in the screen game. And Tom Brady, if you want to buy into the Phillip Rivers narrative, he's an immobile quarterback who checks down all the time. Like if Ronald Jones is on the field the most, it stands to reason that Ronald Jones is going to get targeted in the passing game. It, it's just how fantasy works and how Tom Brady's going to uh, run the offense. 
He ranked highly in yards per route run. He ranked highly in yards per target. He ranked highly in evaded tackles per attempt. All these efficiency metrics that are predictive of running back success, Ronald Jones ranked highly in. He was number two in the NFL in evaded tackles per attempt and number five in yards per route run. These are like, he was ahead of guys like Christian McCaffrey and Aaron Jones, like elite, elite running backs last year. So this year's, I said he's going to be this year's Aaron Jones. And oddly enough, he was top five in red zone rushing efficiency even more than Aaron Jones, who had 19 fucking touchdowns last year. So Ronald Jones, his upside, I've, I've talked about this on numerous occasions. He has 15, 1800 yard from scrimmage upside, 12 to 15 touchdowns, 30 to 50 catches. Like he, he could be a top 10 running back this year. And I'm basically betting on him being, I think top 15 running back is his floor as long as he's the starter most of the year. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, again, I have him as, I believe, my RB20 right now, and even that feels a little low. We've mentioned this guy multiple times throughout the offseason. The fact is, we expect the Tampa Bay offense to be a great offense, correct? I mean, yeah. You're, you're a Tampa fan, and I'm saying that. At, at minimum, it's going to be a top 12 offense. It was a top three offense. I, I, th- I think at minimum, it's going to be a top six or seven offense. That's how good it's going to be. And if that's the case, it's going to be that efficient of an offense. They're going to get that much opportunity to score. There's no way that Ronald Jones is going to finish outside the RB2 range like he's actually being picked right now. He's yeah. being picked outside the top. Just keep this in mind, right? He finishes the RB25 last year. He's going he's, lower he's than getting, he He's getting picked after, I was going to say, he's getting picked after that right now. What, Keyshawn Vaughn on the COVID list is really going to affect him? I've heard Keyshawn Vaughn by multiple Bucks beat reporters has been a candidate to even get cut. Yeah, That's no, just, actually, I have heard I've that. Heard like, that. whispers about that too. Like... Plain and simple, there's still people that think, oh, Keyshawn Vaughn, third-round pick, you know, great pass protector. He's going to get on the field ahead of Ronald Jones. No, that is not the case. Ronald Jones has shown he is the guy all offseason. How many more times do we need Bruce Arians, anybody else on the Tampa Bay offense, to come out and speak praise about this yeah, guy? Yeah, like I mean, just because he dropped some passes in college, like in college <laughs> and he dropped some passes in practice this past week. Like, yeah, one video. Like, and LaShawn McCoy isn't a good pass protector either. Newsflash. So – even if Ronald Jones is adequate in that area, they're going to find a way to keep him on the field. And again, people overrate how much pass protection means. Yes, it means a lot to guys like Bruce Arians who are veteran coaches. But when I say means a lot, it means that he's going to 100% come off the field for it, which is what, five, eight snaps a game? Who gives a shit if he's on the field the other 61 snaps of offense? Like, it doesn't matter if he comes off the field for Dari five snaps a game. It doesn't I mean, matter at all. I, so. Why don't we get into your second running back before we go too long on this show? Can I mention one thing uh, more about Ronald Jones? I don't care about his true snap percentage if he wants to come off the field and uh, when, when, when Bruce Arians wants uh, running back to pass block. I care about the opportunity percentage in that backfield. Plain and simple, when Ronald Jones is playing, he's going to get the majority of the opportunities from those running backs. So and he gets designed home. work in the receiving game too. It's not like a dump off like he was standing at like four yards in front and no one was on him. Like, not like a Leonard Fournette. receiving net. work. It's like a design screen play or a, like a, a running back screen or a, a jets like he when they actually give him receiving work it's designed so any additional if he gets 25 receptions of just tom brady dump offs that's on top of the 20 to 30 receptions he'll get as a screen uh in the screen game or whatever agreed it's not like a leonard fournette situation where like everything else breaks down on the outside and leonard fournette's just getting dumped off the ball like yeah no that doesn't happen game Plain and simple. that can happen on first and second down too, by the way. Easily. People. It doesn't have to happen on third down when Dare's in the game. Exactly. So going into my guy, uh, don't, again, as you mentioned, don't want to keep it too long. I kind of just go on and on like when I'm given the chance to, but it's going to be DeAndre Swift. I mean, I've talked about the, this guy multiple times this offseason. Again, when you're mentioning that fifth, sixth round area of running backs, DeAndre Swift and Ronald Jones should be the top targets in that area, plain and simple. So let me go into DeAndre Swift again. I've mentioned all offseason. I think he can have an Alvin Kamara type impact in that in that year one in the Detroit system. Again, he's I'm not saying he's going to come out and average like eight yards per touch like Alvin Kamara did in his first season, which is just absolutely absurd. But you know what? This guy's giving me six and a half yards per touch, being efficient with his touches, getting 12 to 15 type baseline per game. He's going to return top 15 value, plain and simple. When you're actually breaking it down. Again, I mentioned uh, before, uh, don't take this in exact face value because, I mean, Daryl Bevel's tendencies aren't going to come in. But when you're talking about Swift's potential usage in the passing game, the main thing people say is, oh, Detroit was one of the lowest teams in terms of giving it to their running backs in the uh, passing game last year. But in the eight years that Stafford has been healthy since 2010, his running backs have, have or his running back core have averaged 134.75 targets per year and had a 20. 21- let me just, let me just 
interject here. Someone might object with, well, they had Theo Riddick. Theo Riddick's a great receiving back. All Theo Riddick can do is catch and fall down, yeah. by the way. Too. He doesn't make anyone miss after the catch. DeAndre Swift, when he gets reset, like maybe he's not as good at like actually legitimately catching the ball, but he's going to do way more after the catch. So just exactly. if anyone had the Theo Riddick objection, like DeAndre Swift by his third NFL game is going to be a better receiver than, than Theo Riddick. Not the, again, like he didn't get an extensive work in college, but man, his pass catching ability was one of my favorite traits of him coming out of college. Similar mm-hmm. to the fact that Alvin Kamara didn't get a huge amount of receiving work in college but you always saw when he did get the touches in the receiving game he was absolutely efficient with them and i ultimately see a guy like deandre swift being able to provide provide that type of baseline so as i mentioned 21.975 target market share to the running back position if you actually rank those being the 135 targets and about 22 percent target market share would have ranked sixth and 15th respectively in the league 2019 so this whole narrative of oh, Matt Stafford doesn't throw to his running backs, has actually proven to be the fact that he actually targets the running back position at an above-average rate comparatively to the rest of the NFL. So overall, again, we've already heard uh, that on Johnson, plain and simple, I have said it multiple times, he is an inefficient, injury-prone back. He's made he not, glass. He is not going to stand in the way of DeAndre Swift ultimately taking over the backfield. Yes, maybe initially, if on Johnson is healthy and actually playing, could dent some of DeAndre Swift's early down rushing work. But at the end of the day, as I mentioned, DeAndre Swift, regardless, is going to come out week one to even week six and still be a 12 to 15 touch guy. And maybe past that, he develops in that 15 to 18 touch guy. And if he's by then, carry on might be hurt too. Exactly. I mean, plain and simple, this guy is going to be league winner this year that you're getting in the fifth round, similar to Ronald Jones. And as I mentioned, if you're punting the running back position early, let's just say hypothetically, and you're getting this guy, like he's going to return value on you regardless. As Lucas loves to say, oh, let me, let me, let me, let me punt the running back position early and just pick up mid-round save values. Like if you're actually going to do that, take a guy with upside like DeAndre Swift, like Ronald Jones. But anyways, clear my guy. Two, my two my guys at the running back position just so happen to be rookies, oddly enough, but love those guys to death. Go into your first receiver, Corey, because I can't talk about this guy enough. All right, so Cooper Cup is my first receiver. And I've said this before. I feel like I'm the only one on Cooper Cup. It doesn't seem like anyone's on Cooper Cup for some reason. I don't care about the 12 personnel thing, to be honest. I, 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 would I like them to play 11 personnel all the time? Sure, it would help Cooper Cup. But regardless, Cup is the best receiver on the team. Like Robert Woods is a, salt, like is a good player and he's a great receiver. But Cooper Cup has been the better receiver in his career. McVay is a smart coach. If Cooper Cup is struggling on the outside, he's going to find a way to get him back in the slot. We saw it last year when they couldn't, run the three wide receiver set. They switch to 12 personnel. We've seen him adapt and adjust before. If Cooper Cup is struggling, he knows Cooper Cup is Jared Goff's favorite target. He's going to get him involved in the offense. 10 touchdowns last year for Cooper Cup. It's not an outlier either. There's no regression in coming. He commanded a top three red zone reception uh, volume share amongst the receiver position in the NFL last season. And he had near 30% target share of the Rams red zone offense. So he gets the ball where it matters most. He ranked top 15 in quarterback rating when targeted last year, despite golf being shit to everyone else pretty much. And he was horrible in terms of catchable target rate and target quality. So golf wasn't giving him good passes, but cup was making golf look good because cup is really good. He was dominant in 2018. Let's just remember 2018. If you drafted Cooper cup in 2018, before he went down with his ACL tear, you were probably in first place in your fantasy league because Cooper cup was a top three fantasy receiver before he tore his ACL. And he had a near-perfect quarterback rating when targeted that year. And we've heard this from doctors around the industry. We want receivers that are two years after their ACL. Well, guess what? It's the second year since Cooper Cup tore his ACL. Remember Allen Robinson in 2018 was not good. He didn't crack 1,000 yards. It was because he was coming off of a torn ACL. And Cup, towards the end of the season, we saw him struggle to stay healthy. It was probably because he was still recovering from the ACL tear. So Cooper Cup this year, second year off the ACL tear, Rams in a bounce back situation. Everyone's down on him. No one's talking about him. The offensive line isn't improved. Guess what? The running game is because Cam Akers is better than Todd Gurley. So the offense should run more smoothly, whether it's in 12 personnel, 11 personnel, 10 personnel. I don't give a fuck because Cooper Cup is the receiver to own in this offense. As much as I like Robert Woods, Cooper Cup has top five potential at the receiver position. Yeah, I mean, I again, like I, I am a little bit more in the Woods camp. It doesn't mean I don't like Cup. I mean, if you're looking at Cup specifically, even when they switched to the 12 personnel, Cup was the easily the most targeted guy in the red zone regardless. I mean, he was scoring he had like five touchdowns in, in the last seven games. weeks of the season. Yeah, yeah uh, he was still keeping you up 
people are going to say, oh, oh, that's a lot of touchdowns. Yeah, because they were using him in that role. Yeah, like, do you know, like, Devontae Adams gets a lot of touchdowns too, but it's projectable. It's not like a fickle stat like it is for Mike Williams a couple years ago. Exactly. I mean, not to mention, again, I do like Van Jefferson. I think he's going to be a good receiver in the league, but he's, at this point, not Brandon Cooks. Cooper Cup is losing Brandon Cooks. Again, I could say that for Robert Woods too, a guy I like. But at the end of the day here, there should be more volume going between those guys to supplement the loss of a guy like Brandon Cooks, a consensus top 15 receiver, each of the past four years prior to last year. So overall, I mean, when you're looking at Cooper Cup, again, you should be expecting around 115, 120 targets at the minimum, what, 70, 80 plus catches, and then an 8 to 10 touchdown baseline, ultimately giving you top 15 type value. So overall, I do like Cooper Cup. Uh, again, I do prefer Woods a little bit simply because I do think he's going to end up with more reception totals, but that could be easily supplemented with the fact that Cooper Cup's going to probably blow him out in the touchdown department. Either way, target those two Rams receivers. And uh, from Corey's perspective, he does prefer Cup. So regardless, get those guys on your team because they're going at really good value right now. But overall, let me go into my first guy, wide receiver. A guy who was actually, I talked about the two rookies at the running back position. This is a guy who's actually going into his second year. So I love the youth, apparently. That's all I go for, I guess. And uh, it's actually going to be Terry McLaurin, a guy I've mentioned multiple times on the channel. But I can't bring him up enough. Again, you guys have heard me rant on this guy multiple times. So I'm going to keep it brief for you guys. But basically, in his rookie season, and easily one of the worst situations for a number one receiver last year. Again, a, a complete dumpster fire. He played with three different quarterbacks. He was playing with a rookie quarterback who struggled the first two weeks. Kind of turned it on at the end. Uh, but overall regardless, in that season last year, 58 receptions, 919 receiving yards, seven receiving touchdowns, and only 14 games. Projected across a 16-game pace, it would have equated to 66 catches, 1,050 yards, and eight touchdowns overall. When you're looking at this guy, they bring in Ron Rivera. Again, uh, prayers up to him. I heard uh, the, the cancer uh, diagnosis. Let's just hope he's healthy and everything. I'm not going to get into that right now. It's kind of a, a personal thing for him. So anyway, it's just prayers up for him. Uh, but when you're actually looking at his impact on receivers in the past, I've said this multiple times, Steve Smith, Calvin Benjamin for that year, he was actually relevant and DJ Moore just last season in an ultimate breakout year guy. I'm going to be talking about later, little sneak peek. But when you're looking at Terry McCoy, this is a guy who's easily in terms of talent, in my opinion, on that fringe top 15. I mean, this is a guy who in, as I mentioned, a terrible situation. still put up a pace of over a thousand yards and eight touchdowns as a rookie. And there was plenty of missed opportunities for him down the field. Ultimately here, I do think that Haskins, a talented enough quarterback to be selected in the top 15, is going to take that step up as we saw at the later half of the season. The first four games versus the last five games were a huge improvement for him. If he's able to play like that for the full 16, which I do believe he will, I do think he's got top 15 type value with even a top 10, top 8 type ceiling, simply put. This guy is going to be untested or uncontested for targets in this offense. I've said it when I projected Steven Sims as a, a, a sleeper in the NFC East video. But at the end of the day here, that is Terry McLaurin's receiving uh, offense in general. I mean, the, the targets are going to go to this guy. He is the alpha. He is the guy who's ultimately going to give you value. And if he's falling to the fifth round of your fantasy football drafts, I mean, take the upside with this guy because ultimately here – you got a top 20 floor with a top 10 type upside. And he's currently being selected outside the top 20. Plain and simple, easy value. Bank on that. This guy's going to take that step for next year and give you incredible value where he's being taken. Yeah, he like he could very well have a similar season to what DJ Moore had last year. DJ yep. Moore, before he went down, was on pace for 150 targets. Would have had over 1,300 yards or whatever. I could definitely see a season like that from Terry McLaurin. Now, you said you like all the youth. I basically do too. I, it's a common trend. We like to take, and I know it sounds like a novel concept, Young players entering their prime is the type of players you want to take in fantasy, not guys like A.J. Green or Todd Gurley who are out of their primes. So A.J. Brown is my wide receiver too. And again, I went more in depth on this on in Wednesday's video where I talked about the breakout players, but I'll just recap that argument for you here. Teams that threw under 500 times, uh, which the Titans did last year, increase on average by 63 pass attempts the following season. Not really relevant to the t- uh, to to the Titans offense, but I did hear Rich Rebar say that. And it does kind of um, pad AJ Brown's case even more, uh, knowing that there could be a potential regression to the mean kind of thing for the Titans offense. So um, next with AJ Brown, he is the guy in this offense. It's him. It's, it's like, we love Jonu Smith and we're going to talk about him later too, but 
if Johnny Smith doesn't work out, this like AJ Brown's going to go bananas. Based on his efficiency and the thread that I put out a couple months ago, we are expecting to see an average of 34 targets and a 269 uh, yardage increase for AJ Brown going into his second year. So that would put him into the 115 target range. To me, that's his floor. I think 115 Easy. targets this year, I think that's his floor because, like I said, he's the only guy in his offense. His ceiling is this year's Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin last year was the wide receiver two before he got hurt. Aside from them basically being the same player, they play the exact same way. My comparison for AJ Brown coming out of school was Chris Godwin. Like their situations are very similar too. the 150 target uh, number one receiver type that we saw Chris Godwin be while he was healthy. What if just play the hypothetical game? What if Chris Godwin right now was traded to Tennessee straight up for AJ Brown? Would Chris Godwin be drafted in the, the late fourth round like A.J. Brown is being drafted right now? No. He would probably stay the same, if not be drafted even higher, because Mike Evans doesn't exist in Tennessee. There's no guy not like Mike Evans to command a huge target share or take away any significant work from A.J. Brown. And we're projecting that guy to be Johnny Smith, but we could be wrong. So let me put it this way. A.J. Brown is going to command a 25-plus percent target share. Why? Because he's really fucking good. If yeah. he regresses any way from an efficiency perspective, it's going to be offset by a volume increase. He's going to have a 25-plus percent target share book it. If they throw 500 times, which will be amongst the, amongst the league low in a run-heavy offense, he's going to have 125, 130 targets. His ceiling is a top three fantasy receiver. If he receives 140, 150 targets, like someone like D.J. Moore received last year, he is going to be a top three fantasy receiver because he is that good. He gets the volume in the red zone. He gets, he's great after the catch. He's going to make big plays. Like he is so good at football. Don't sleep on good football players. It is a mistake of fantasy. Yeah. I mean, I fully agree on AJ Brown. I mean, this guy has a ton of upside. When you're actually looking at the situation, the first thing that people point to, as you're kind of alluding to there, is, oh, he was so efficient. He was historically fishing. I mean, plain and simple, the efficiencies are going to go down. Well, you know what happens with great efficiency? Increase in opportunity. Plain and simple. This guy is going to see a huge volume bump going from year one to year two, plain and simple, that, as you mentioned, 130 targets. I could very well see 140, maybe 145, because plain and simple, when you're actually looking at the Titans last year, the fact that they were so run dominant down the stretch, that's got to be supplemented some way, plain and simple. They're going to pass the ball more because either if they're running the ball at the rate that they did last year, Derrick Henry should be selected as a top two running back, plain and simple. It's going to even itself out a little bit. And when you're talking about a dynamic elite talent at the position like A.J. Brown, this guy is going to command his targets. Again, I've hyped up John o. Smith multiple times on the channel. So have you. I mean, I thought, heck, you're going to talk about him later. I'm going to do it again in a couple minutes. Plain so. and simple. I mean, he's, he's a fantastic player, but A.J. Brown is a clear alpha in the offense. This guy, as you mentioned, should near that 24 25% target market share of the team. I don't care if they're fucking throwing the ball 450 times. If this guy's commanding that amount of targets, that's more than enough for an efficient player like A.J. Brown to ultimately return value on his mid-wide uh, receiver two type uh, ADP at this current point. So I really like the upside that A.J. Brown brings. My next... And hold on. Make sure you guys it. drink every time Danny says plain and simple. Sorry, go ahead. There you go. A, a little game. Uh, quality content's another one that you guys got to watch out for. But uh, <laughs> going into my second receiver, and as a guy I kind of alluded to when talking about Terry McLaurin, because he's got this guy's coach from last year and Ron Rivera. Well, before he was, a, he, before he was fired. But anyways, I'm talking about DJ Moore, wide receiver from the Carolina Panthers. If you're actually looking at DJ Moore's sophomore campaign in 2019, similar to what Terry McLaurin's going into uh, this year, but nearly 1,200 receiving yards and four touchdowns and just over 14 games. Again, I'm not going to count his 15th game where he had one catch for six yards and got hurt because if people are using that in their projections, like plain and simple, the guy didn't play the whole game. He played a, not even a quarter. So how are you really going to supplement his yardage total and touchdown total in 15 games when he basically only played 14 games in a quarter? So anyways, I'm not going to get into that, but if you're actually looking at the efficiency of his actual quarterback play from last year with Kyle Allen, his catchable target rate and target quality ranking ranked 74th and 69th respectively league-wide, and his catch rate of 64.4%, which is his receptions on the total targets that he received, it actually fell way below his true catch rate of 87.9%, which is his receptions on catchable targets. When you're actually comparing the ranks, 46th versus 19th which shows me that most of the targets that he received were deemed uncatchable. Because if that's the disparity between his reception rate on catchable versus total targets, 
there's got to be a problem there. And that problem was quarterback play. We're actually looking at his averages from last year. Again, 16.24 PPR points per game and 14 healthy games. What are we in the wide receiver nine on points per game in that stretch? Despite, as I mentioned, playing with Kyle Allen and the inefficiency of the targets he received. Now you enter Teddy Bridgewater, who I've broken down his efficiencies, but just to kind of give you a little run through, 76.4% uh, troop completion, fourth in the league. Uh, 7.8 accuracy rating, second. Six point or 7.1 yard adjusted air yards per attempt in 12th. So overall, I mean, Kyle Allen, I'm not going to get into that, but he was basically bottom of the league in most of those regards anyways. Bottom, uh, bottom sixth in basically all of them. But if you're actually adding that quarterback upgrade that we believe Teddy Bridgewater to be, which he has shown across his career as being an adequate starting quarterback for his uh, every franchise basically he's played played for. Again, you mentioned Minnesota, played for the Saints last year. Similar system actually in the Saints to what he's actually going to be playing for in Carolina this year, playing under Joe Brady. Now, when you're talking about Joe Brady, for those of you who don't know who Joe Brady is, he is actually a disciple of Sean Payton. I mean, we've mentioned multiple times these disciples of Sean McVay, the Zach Taylors, all these guys, they, they lived in they lived in the same room with Sean McVay or they, they talked to the guy once. Well, Joe Brady actually coached under Sean Payton and picked up that system from him. And what did that system do at LSU? Oh, it only proved to be two first-round caliber receivers, jumped Joe Burrow from a mid-round quarterback prospect to the unanimous first overall pick last year and was the most efficient offense we have seen in college football in many years now. If you're talking about a number one receiver threat, think Justin Jefferson on LSU. Think Jamar Chase on LSU. Think Michael Thomas on the Saints, which is ultimately the type of upside I can see a guy like DJ Moore getting. Again, this guy is going to receive 140, 150 type targets, giving that 100 and ca- 100 catch type upside. And if he faces any type of positive regression in the touchdown department with improved quarterback play, this guy's got legitimate top three overall wide receiver upside. Again, he's my wide receiver six right now. The ADP and uh, ECR is way behind him, thus making him an incredible value and a my guy so love love dj moore if he's available in that third round which is usually where he goes in any of your drafts i'd even be fine taking him at the end of the second round as well like you're getting a value with him there plain and simple if he's there in the third round you smash that all day don't look back i mean this is a guy basically you can pair you can even pair with the christian mccaffrey a saquon barkley so you're basically getting a top three running back and a guy who i believe is going to be a top six wide receiver so I'm all in on DJ Moore taking a, another, if you will, breakout from his breakout last year. So love me, uh, love me some DJ Moore songs. What are your thoughts on DJ Moore? I know they're high because we basically have them the same rank. Whoops. DJ Moore, there's nothing else to say on DJ Moore. He's pretty much, he's guaranteed the number one receiver role in his offense. And offense is going to throw the ball like crazy. Teddy Bridgewater's in for the most pass attempts he's ever seen because the defense lost everyone, including Luke Keekley and James Bradbury. So DJ Moore, he had 150 target pace last year. He's going to get at least 150 targets this year. And like you said, if he can get seven, eight touchdowns, he's going to be a top eight receiver this year. So I have really nothing else to say on DJ Moore. My, my guy at tight end, this might be my guy overall and probably my guy in terms of who I'm going to own the most in, in fantasy this year. And that's John U. Smith. Again, I went really in depth on him on Wednesday's um, breakouts uh, video. So go check that out if you want more information or if you're not, um, you're not a believer in Johnny Smith and you want to hear me go really in depth with him. But basically all the predictive tight end metrics that we look for from prospects, from breakout players are in Johnny's favor. As a prospect, he had the breakout age in the hundredth percentile, which doesn't get better than that. College dominator was 90 plus percentile. Like, and then in the NFL, he has been, Topped, uh, he was 11th in yards per route run last year. He was, he's 9.8 yards per target, which was second only to George Kittle. 2.41 target separation, which was second. Guess who? Only to George Kittle. Second in yards after catch per reception. Guess what? Behind only George Kittle. He's obviously very talented, but why is he going to break out this year compared to the other three years he's been in the NFL? And again, I've talked about this narrative before. Tight ends take longer to develop. He's in his fourth year. He came from a small school. It was going to take him longer than someone like I don't know. Even Austin Hooper broke out in his fourth year last year. Mark Andrews and George Kittle are the outliers. They are not the standard. They should not be breaking out in their second year. That just proves how good and how special they actually are. So John U. Smith, the reason he's going to break out this year, in my opinion, is because Delaney Walker is gone and there's no other second. There's, he could be the second target in the offense. So on the screen right now, you're going to see his splits without, uh, with and without Delaney Walker. And you can see it's a huge difference. 10 PPR points per game better. Four receptions better almost. 
or three receptions better. Sorry. All of his touchdowns came in games without Delaney Walker. Like he was much, much better. And the big thing for me was that he averaged 81% of the snaps when Delaney Walker was gone for the record. That's only 1% less than what George Kittle gets. So that is elite tight end opportunity. And over these, over those uh, 10 weeks or 11 weeks, um, he averaged like that snap share was a 60 or fuck. I can't even speak right now. 55% was the average before that. So, and that's not even bad. That's like what Mark Andrews averages, but 55% of the snaps to 81% is a massive, massive difference. So if you're in the end of the draft and he's still going super late, 12th, 13th round, you grab a guy like John U. Smith. Even if you're skeptical, pick a guy like Jared Cook ahead of him just so you have someone to fall back on or pick a guy like Jack Doyle after him. So you have a guy to fall back on. Or you could do the smart thing and pick John U. Smith and Hayden Hurst or John U. Smith and Mike Kosicki or John U. Smith and Chris Herndon or John U. Smith and TJ Hawkinson. Pair two of these guys because the chances are, and I'm betting it's going to be John U. Smith, one of these dudes is going to hit and you're going to have a breakout tight end. And I'm not going to go into how, um, how beneficial it is to have a breakout no. tight end, but the chances are it's going to help you win your league. Yeah, for sure. Again, I've mentioned multiple times on the channel alluding to your tweet. Uh, what, a couple of months ago at this point of how beneficial it is to have a breakout tight end. Again, we're not going to get into that now. If you guys want to see that you can check out other videos on basically uh, spotting breakouts, but I mean, this is a guy we've been on all off season. We've been pounding the table for originally taking him in uh, a latest redraft league. I'm in 13th round value. On a I took like him that. in the 10th to make like, sure I got him. And that's, that's the crazy thing. I, I was, or I, I took him in the 12th. I was about to take him in the 10th. And then I said, you know what? There's a couple of guys in front of me that already have tight ends. I think he can make it back to me. Cause there's a, other, a couple other like guys that people hype up uh, that were ahead of him on the A to B. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take the gamble. And like worst case scenario, if I lose out on him, I'm just going to fucking low ball someone for him relative to what I think his value is. Sure enough. I get him in the 12th round. This is a guy who has all the opportunity in the world to break out. Again, if, if we're actually mentioning overall how to spot, a breakout tight end i mean plain and simple i've mentioned it multiple times in the past but if you guys haven't checked that already i'm basically gonna uh go through it a little bit i it's also on the draft guy you guys can check that out but overall i look through three main things natural talent efficiency on targets and clear path to more targets again it helps you spot out guys who actually broke out in the past george kittle mark andrews austin hooper for John U. Smith, I mean, we broke down just how athletic this guy is as a natural talent. I mean, he is absolutely fantastic, was efficient on his yards, or yards per catch, yards per target, every one of those efficiencies. He's just a good player. And when you're looking at the opportunity, people are going to say, oh, well, the Titans run the ball too much. How is he going to get enough targets to supplement success? So do jo- so does the fucking Mark Andrews 49ers and, and the Ravens. It doesn't matter for George Kittle and Mark Andrews. Bingo. I mean, and That's why actually- Kelsey's the number one tight end is because he's that good, plus his offense throws a lot. Ultimately here, I mean, you got A.J. Brown, yes. But if you're actually looking at Kittle and Andrews, guess what? They have two talented, fantastic second-year receivers as well in that offense, being Debo Samuel and Marquise Brown. Again, this is a guy who is primed for a breakout at the tight end position. He's got all the traits, all the tools you look for, and he's currently being selected out to the top 15, which is just insane. But anyways, we'll get into that. This is a clear top 10 tight end option for the record. I believe I have him at seven or eight right now, and you're on the same belief as well. I'm at seven. Yeah. So, I mean, all in. And this is actually my next uh, tight end is another guy who is poised to break out. These are the two main breakout tight ends of the year, in my opinion. And that's Hayden Hurst, the guy I actually have at six. So when you're looking at Hayden Hurst, I mean, this is a guy that is poised to produce at elite levels uh, this year. And if you're not bought into the talent, albeit whatever, I can uh, basically prove against that later on in the argument. But if you're actually looking at the opportunity, I mean, the Falcons, I alluded to it with Matt Ryan. I said that they're a high pass volume offense. Well, how high of a volume that they have in the passing game? 66.7% 66.7% pass to run split last year. And this is Dirk Cutter that we're talking about, who actually led Austin Hooper to have his breakout tight, uh, breakout year last year. 18.5% target market share across 13 games played, and he was tight end three in PPR points per game at the position. Just showing you how valuable the tight end is in that Dirk Cutter-led Atlanta Falcons offense. Now, speaking to Cutter, again, this guy has shown it not only just last year, he's shown it basically everywhere he's been that he can supplement good tight ends. I mean, we saw it in Tampa Bay. You saw it for years. OJ Howard was on pace for 900 yards in 2018 before he got hurt with Dirk Cutter operating the offense. And Cameron Bray was a solid option before that. And none of them have done shit since Dirk Cutter left. 
Exactly. I mean, and we're mentioning Austin Hooper now, like he's some elite talent, but basically before Cutter came and got used to that regard, I mean, plain and simple, he wasn't viewed. People in that were picking line. the Falcons to pick tight ends and mock drafts in like the first round before, before Austin Hooper broke out. Like literally. So like, if you're actually looking at it, Hayden Hurst to me is just a more athletic version of Austin Hooper in the role that he can provide in the offense. If you're breaking down the situation, I've mentioned this multiple times, 256 vacated targets. And this is still a team that loves throwing it to their tight ends. And it is one of the most pass happy teams, as I mentioned, in the red zone. Second in the league behind the New York Jets at pass split in the red zone at 63%. And 102 total passing attempts in that area. So, I mean, fire up this fiery redhead in your lineups. I mean, he's going at the tight end nine right now. This is a guy I have at tight end six. And ultimately here, I, I, I think he's got seventh round type value. If you're just pick him straight up. Yeah, you can have him in the late eighth, early ninth round type area this is a guy you got to get in your lineups i think tight end six or seven is his floor to be honest he could have an austin hooper top three tight finish in the cards austin hooper was tight end one before he went down exactly first eight weeks of the season he was pacing all tight ends in fantasy points per game so i'm all in on hayden hurst he's still being selected out of value because a people don't like taking guys that don't have a huge name i mean hayden hurst although he was a first round pick people are like oh he's just a backup tight end to mark andrews what's he gonna do well the Falcons have they traded a second round pick for. I was just about to say and that. that second round pick became J.K. Dobbins, who they could the, really use right now. The, again, the Falcons envision a big role for him with that draft capital that they traded for him, and he's still a, an athletic, talented tight end who was efficient on his targets that he received last year, even as being the second tight end for the Ravens last year. So ultimately, here this guy is an incredible value. But you guys have heard us say that all offseason. Now we're going to go into our honorable mention. You can mention the two guys that you really wanted to talk about, but unfortunately couldn't fit into the episode. Corey, take the floor. Yeah, I'm just going to go briefly on this because yeah. I don't I don't really know how long we've gone on this episode. It's probably been yeah. about an hour, so I'm going to be short on this. But DJ Chark and DK Metcalf, two really young receivers, as you've noticed, is a trend with us. We like guys on the upswing, which is a shocker for most people. But DK Metcalf has Josh Gordon potential. Like, that's yeah. why – and if he, he's, if he is really good this year, I'm going to be kind of mad at myself for not making him a my guy. And by the way, we are going to revisit these and see if we are yeah. correct. At the end of the season, we're going to be like, oh, man, I fucking really blew it on Cooper Cup. He was garbage without the 12 personnel or whatever. I don't think it's going to happen, but you know what I mean. So DK Metcalf had an elite red zone usage. He's a fucking physical specimen. He plays with Russell Wilson, and he – is on pace to get a see, see a huge volume increase based on the efficiencies he had from his rookie season. So that's why he was in consideration for my guy. And same goes for DJ Chark. DJ Chark's in an offense where he is the number one option. It's not even close. He's in an offense where his defense is complete garbage. They're going to be throwing the ball like crazy. He gets the most valuable targets down the field in the red zone. He's, he's excellent. And he's also growing with Minshew and him and Minshew had a great connection. So Again, if DJ Chark is a top 12 receiver, I mean, he was before he got hurt last year, so it wouldn't shock me at all. He did it in his what was basically his rookie year because he wasn't used at all as a rookie. Yeah, I fully agree on that. And uh, I'm going to briefly mention just one guy, uh, a guy that I actually had slated in the flex before we said we're just going to mention the audible mentions. And call me a Cowboys homer or not, but it's Michael Gallup. I've mentioned this guy multiple times on the channel. He's currently being taken as the wide receiver 29 off the board. And this is a guy who in his second year – playing only 14 games, produced 66 catches, over 1,100 yards, and six touchdowns for a wide receiver 17 points per game pace, which was actually even higher in the first eight games of the season. Uh, of the season. Then he kind of dealt with injuries down the stretch, whatever. But when you're looking at the Dallas receiving core, yes, they added CeeDee Lamb, but there's 190 vacated targets for the Dallas receiving core, which ultimately is going to be where CeeDee Lamb gets his target base from, not taking it from Michael Gallup or Amari Cooper. So when you're looking at Michael Gallup, he had 119 targets last year or over eight, eight per game pace. I mean, that is just an incredible amount for a guy entering his second year last year. And Dak clearly trusts him. So overall, I mean, you're getting a wide receiver two at a wide receiver three's cost. Plain and simple, that is just value you should be taking all day. He's currently being taken like the seventh round right now. Snag that up all day. I would trust him as my wide receiver two in my lineup any day any given week. So I really like Michael Gallup. Take him. Wide receiver 22 for me currently be taking as a wide receiver 29. Yeah. I don't disagree on Gallup. I've, I've said multiple times, I think while CD Lamb gets acclimated to the offense, I think Gallup's going to be that, that guy that gets you out to that hot start that you need to win fantasy championships. You need to start strong because you got to win games. The games count the same at the beginning of the season as they do at the end of the season. You got to win, try and win them all ideally, but 
Gallup is the type of dude that you can pair with. Um, maybe if you have a, like a rookie running back or something, and you want to make sure that you're not going to be off to a slow start. Gallup is that, too, is that dude that you can put into your flex. That's probably going to be very valuable early on in the season. So if you guys enjoyed this video again, like, uh, like the video, hit the button that looks like this comment down below some of your guys this season, some of the guys you're pounding the table for. Cause I know you guys have opinions like this too. Everyone, everyone has their guys this year. We have them. Uh, Dan, like I have them, Danny has them, everyone has them. So we want to hear some of your guys, maybe throw some, throw some facts in there. If you want to score some points with us and know that we Thank have you. an educated audience as well. But again, subscribe to the channel. If you're new, if you're, this is the first time you're seeing one of our videos, we're going to be coming at you every day, twice a day for the rest of our lives. So, um, <laughs> basically, uh, peace out guys. Enjoy your fucking, what day is this, that this is coming out? Uh, Thursday. No, I'm keeping it in. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And if you made it this far, heck you, you say, Oh, did, did I put, did I pull off the goatee? Did I not? Whatever. You guys can leave that in the comments too, just for a giggle. And so I know you guys made it this far, but anyways, peace out y'all. Not much more to say. See you guys back next Tuesday for another Hawk commodities episode.